The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, guys? It is here, finally, the finale of our 2023 opponent preview series, which leaves us with only one team, the most important one, at least to the people who listen to this podcast, our beloved Chicago Bears. And, of course, it'll be Lauren Cox joining us from Locked on Bears here in just a few moments to, uh, to, uh, to preview uh, this 2023 season, which you hear me say, you've heard me say it a thousand times so far, and you've, you, you hear me say it right off the top uh, with Lauren. It's like we've been looking forward to this season since the start of 2022. We knew we weren't getting much uh, out of last year's team. And, you know, a, a full slate of draft picks, uh, you know, most cal- salary cap space in the league. We knew this was going to be the season to uh, look forward to. And, and wasn't it interesting how, uh, how the Bears made 2022 work for us despite going 3-14, and 14, having the worst record in the league and earning the number one pick in the draft. And somehow we didn't want to shoot ourselves at the end of the season. So uh, quite a roller coaster uh, of a year. But... Um, you know, again, I want to thank all you guys for 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 sticking with me through this uh, process. And your reward is the next episode where I was able to to wrangle a very special guest to come on and talk bears uh, with us on Thursday, and that'll be none other than Adam Rank from the NFL Network and the Sick Podcast to uh, come in for a for a short bit. Uh, he said about thirty five minutes, so I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll have that little window. Uh, with him, that episode will be dropping on Thursday, and uh, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll squeeze in some different things. Obviously, I'm not going to run down 2022 and free agency and blah 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 like I have with my last 15 guests, including uh, Lauren. We're going to do something a little bit different, and maybe even dip into a little bit, a little bit of fantasy football. I know you guys are kind of wishing that I would kind of do a a fantasy league, but uh, you know. I, I don't like fantasy football. I, I just, uh, I've, I, the funny thing is I'm good at it. I am actually really good at fantasy football. It's just that like the last three or four years that I played, I was in a keeper league with some friends. And, um, despite the fact that, uh, I scored the second most points in the league, like three years, either the most or the second most points in the league, three years running, uh, I, I had like four and 11, you know, records because, the, my luck was I scored enough points to win every single game on the schedule except for the one that I was actually playing in, and that would be the one person who could outscore me. And I played that person, you know, like six, seven weeks in a row one year, and it's just like I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. Don't want to do it anymore. So I just gave up on it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a pick'em guy, as you guys uh, know. Uh, that's, more, uh, that's more my speed. Uh, but anyway... Uh, we'll have Adam on the show uh, Thursday. Uh, we'll talk about position battles, uh, you know, where he sees the team going. Because uh, he did, um, I think he's done it for all the teams uh, in the league. But when he, he did the, the win by that, that big, you know, touch screen they have over there in the NFL network. And he, he tapped the screen to, I think, a 12-5 a and five or 13-4 and four record uh, for the Bears. I want to see, uh, you know, if he still feels the same about a month or so removed. 
uh, from uh, from that and, uh, you know, how he got there uh, kind of thing. So uh, we'll talk about that uh, and uh, just anything else that I can drudge up talking to Adam Rank. Should be a fun uh, conversation and I think a great way to kind of close the book uh, on the summer because uh, unbeknownst to me, you'll hear Lauren and I kind of talking about it here in, in the at the beginning of the podcast, like when is training camp? It's like Saturday, the 22nd, rookies report the uh, the veterans report next Monday on the on the twenty fifth, and then we're off and running. It won't be too long after that that we have our first preseason game. Then obviously there'll be the preseason reviews, and then the season will be coming shortly after that. So uh, yeah, so uh, the, you know Adam Rank will be the finale of the summer, and I can't think of a more perfect way uh, to close the book on the off season and get ready for the actual twenty twenty three regular season. So. Let's go ahead and dive into this. It's myself and Lauren. I know you guys love when we collaborate, so here it comes. It's myself and Lauren previewing the 2023 Chicago Bears on this finale of the 2023 opponent preview series here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud So here we are. The grand finale of our 2023 opponent preview series. And uh, it just seems like in history, the greatest opponent the Bears have ever faced is in fact themselves. So when we talk about the Chicago Bears, there's only one guy that I have on the show. Our great friend from Locked On Bears, it's Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, sir. Hey, appreciate you having me back on. So since we have spoken a few times uh, since the end of the season, we're, we're not going to... to dwell too much on 2022 we've done that several times uh at this point so we're not going to do the the game by game thing that i've pretty much gone through with every guest up to this point but what i did want to mention was or mention again i should say is what an odd season 2022 was for our fan base because pretty much from moment one before the season even really started we were all looking ahead to 2023 because we were going to have all our draft picks. It was well documented. We were going to have anywhere from 90 to 100 million in cap space. Basically, we just needed to get through this season and, if possible, figure out our quarterback question. Is Justin Fields the guy? Will he take a step? Will he make progress? And somehow we managed to do that while going 3 and 14 and losing 12 of our last 13 ball games. So, I mean, what? Because it's like we're losing all of these games. A lot of them heartbreaking, sometimes one-score losses. A, a few of them were like the refs screwed us, we should have won this game type thing. But And somehow, each game you wanted to keep watching, you wanted to keep coming back, even though we didn't win a game from, like, what, October 10th till the end of the season. That was like the blessing in disguise of last season, right? It was like somehow what could have been an awful tank season that just was miserable to watch down the stretch yeah. really didn't get miserable until like the last two weeks of the season. Like right. even, well, maybe the bills game in the third, the last one, but for the most part, like we got through at least like week 15, we got most of the way to December before it was like, all right, these games are pretty much over. And sure. that was, that, that made it worth watching and made it salvageable and not, you know, I feel like as far as tanking goes, that was as pleasurable as it could have gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, the, I think the Eagles was our, our last stand as that, that tough out kind of team because the following week we got blown out by the Bills. And actually the Bills kind of piled on at the end. The game was actually a lot closer than 35 to, 
thirteen, but they added some touchdowns late in the game. Even when even though it was it was over at that point, they added a couple of touchdowns there. The Lions game, Justin Fields has a hundred hundred yards rushing in the first quarter, and then it was forty one to ten the rest of the way uh, after that. And then obviously the Vikings was just a, a fire sale uh, of a football game. You know, I don't even. I think did Simeon start and Peterman played. There were there were guys that literally I'd never heard of before playing defense for us uh, in that game. It was like the epitome of like we did all of our tanking in that last game there, and then Lovey did us the biggest solid by by the with the Texans beating the Colts to give us the number one pick. Yeah, it it was so fun how that all played together, right? Like the way that we could at least have something to look forward to, and I and I really appreciated like. You know, even when that game is just nothing going on that you can absolutely like, you, you still have like a second game in week 18 that has some sort of stakes for you, even if the game you're watching didn't have it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it, it was just one of those things like there's no way that they they just did that on purpose. Did Indy let them do it? <laughs> and then you watch the you watch the highlights and they were going for the Hail Mary and I'll be damned if he didn't catch it, you know, and then they kick the extra point and win the game or when they went for two and won it or whatever it was. But uh, they did it on purpose and gave themselves the number two pick and gifted the Bears number one overall, which is kind of, you know, like the gem of the offseason for us was not even, you know, what Ryan Poles did in free agency, but literally a few days before free agent started, a full month and a half before the draft, Poles super early in the process, trades that number one pick to Carolina. We got a, you know, we we swap picks in, in 2023. We get a first rounder in 2024, a second rounder in 2023, and a second rounder in 2025. But what really made the trade, I think, for me and for pretty much everybody, was that oh yeah, they threw in DJ Moore uh, as well. So Justin Field, we get we get five draft picks, four draft picks, whatever it was, and Justin Fields' number one uh, receiver that we pretty much could not have gotten any other way. I can't help but like think about how different the whole offseason and maybe the whole trajectory of the Chicago Bears could be if they didn't get the number one pick, if they'd gotten number two instead. Like, mm-hmm. sure, they probably could have still traded down. I mean, the Cardinals traded down from three just fine, and there was talks of teams trying to get to two after after the Panthers took Bryce Young. But, but like, the price tag that they would have received for two compared to one for the second-place quarterback yeah. just – I mean, it certainly wouldn't have been the same, and I, I – don't think you get DJ Moore at that point. You might still get, you know, future first round picks and some things like that, but like the actual haul would have been significantly less. And you just wonder how that then shapes what decisions they make in free agency if they don't have DJ Moore in that trade and what you know who they end up picking and a few of those different draft spots and when they trade up and trade down. Like I think it would be such a drastically different team, all based on purely the Houston Texans winning that last game. Yeah. It's crazy. It it kind of reminds me of of all the hurdles that had to be cleared in order for Justin Fields to be there for the Bears to take him at 11 in 2021. You know, all the teams that passed on him, like after after the the Jags, the Jets, and the 49ers picked their quarterbacks, okay, now here, you know, this is where the draft begins as to, you know, all the people that passed on Justin Fields for him to be there at 11 and the, the Giants have to be willing to make the trade and all that kind of stuff. It kind of feels like that. You know, like it just felt like it was, you know, written in the stars that it was going to happen this way so that the Bears could put together the team that, that, you know, quite frankly, I can't wait to see take the field. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like if if you were going to envision like the sports documentary about this team, it, these are the sort of like inconceivable 
coincidences that just happen to all play out in their favor for things to just happen to go the right way yeah. to get these specific sets of players. And they're going to look back in the future and go, man, if any of one of 25 different things had gone differently, this team would have never taken this form and gone this way. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the interesting thing about it is that pretty much everyone that passed on Justin Fields in 2021, we play them this year. You know, yeah. we, we play the Broncos. Obviously, we play the Panthers. We have most of their traffics because they had a chance to take him in 2021. They went with J.C. Horn. We play the Broncos. They had a chance to take him. They took uh, Pat Sertan the second. Now, I don't think either one of those teams regrets that choice, but given what, what both of those teams gave up to get their quarterbacks, you know, what Carolina gave up to get – to number one to take Bryce Young, they gave to us, and what Denver gave away to get Russell Wilson uh, from the Seahawks, or you could have had Justin Fields for free at eight or nine in the first round uh, of the 2021 draft. I mean, it's like maybe you don't regret taking J.C. Horn or Pat Sertan, but would you like to have those draft picks back and draft a corner this year versus you know everything you had to give up to have that corner and the quarterback you have now? And I'm sure there's an alternate reality out there where the Bears end up trading for Russell Wilson instead and never <laughs> went down that path with Ryan Poles and, and received with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. There was all those rumors and certain there was some reporting that maybe there was close to a deal there, but then it kind of fell through. And I was, was never super clear, like exactly what happened there. But yeah. it, it felt like we were closer to that than maybe we realize and how different things would be now, too. Like this there's an endless series of, of what ifs around this team right now. Yeah, there is for sure. But. That was that was the day after my birthday. March 9th is when that trade uh, was made. So a late birthday present from Ryan Poles to me. Uh, and then a, co- a couple days later, free agency actually began. And uh, we had the money to spend. And even though he did not spend every single dime, and I know there are some Bear fans that are still upset about that uh, because of what he didn't come away with, he came away with a pretty decent haul, man, especially revamping that linebacking core with Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards sent on him away from Buffalo and Philly respectively getting Nate Davis up front to be our new right guard from the uh, from the Titans I think we solidify our backup quarterback position by signing PJ Walker away from Carolina uh, apparently Andrew Billings is a walking building uh, he is an <laughs> enormous human being that's going to help us plug up the middle so you have him uh, alongside uh not Angelo Blackson, he's gone now, but... Um, Justin Jones. There you go, Justin Jones, along with Gravon Dexter, Zach Pickens that we took uh, in the draft. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. And, 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 and Deontay Foreman, which gives us one of the more interesting running back rooms in the, in the, in the league, let alone uh, our division. I mean, he, he definitely made some good choices. And the one that, that I predicted and felt rather uh, you know, good about seeing happen, Robert Tunyon to be our number two uh, tight end to go along with uh, Cole Komet, who made some big strides in 2022. Yeah, there's a lot to like about pretty much all the free agents across the board, right? You weren't left feeling like, oh, my God, why do they sink so much money into that guy? Or, mm-hmm. or you know, Not those players that you feel like was the big risky signing. Certainly, uh, there's certainly players that might not pan out, but you're not really worried about them being hit like big money that the Bears sunk into somebody. They, they ended up going with a lot more of those mid-level free agent types that are, you know, more in the six, seven, eight million dollar range. Just outside of Tremaine Edmonds, it was all 
relatively cheaper, more affordable deals that, you know, if for some reason something doesn't work out, you're not going to be hamstrung with all this dead cap space for five years because of all the money you sunk into those guys. Right. And, but at the same time, you're, you're not getting a ton of top end talent, but I think the way Ryan Pohl seemed to be approaching things, it's like, I remember during the opening hours of free agency, like the bears were interested in Mike McGlinchey and then he gets signed by the Broncos for a huge amount of money. And they were interested in, you know, Draymond Jones and Zach Allen and all these players that the bears were rumored to be after, but then ended up signing these massive contracts. And I think Ryan Poles went in saying like, okay, I've got a price limit and I got to be responsible spending here. And I'm not just going to pony up for these guys in particular because they're, my only choice in free agency. No, we'll we'll play the long game on this one. We don't have to get that specific guy. We got to get some guys, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be these specific guys. So they can sit back and say, "All right, once McGlinchey hits a certain price point, I'm out." You know, it's like Shark Tank. I'm out, and somebody else, another investor, can invest in that that player, and maybe it works out for them. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I do appreciate that polls didn't feel that desperation to go. Okay, I've got a hundred million dollars. I've got to go get the big fish because when you get desperate and overspend like that, that's when you really get yourself in trouble. Right. And and one of the things that's kind of come out since um, the free agency period is that um, like Tremaine Edmonds specifically, also TJ Edwards, Robert Tunyon wanted to be in Chicago. It wasn't necessarily about the money. It was about wanting to play for the Bears. I read an article about Tremaine Edmonds saying that he wanted to come to a rebuilding situation and he liked what he saw in Chicago wanted to come here and help build something like he had basically just done in Buffalo the Buffalo was not a very good football team when he first joined it and build them into a perennial powerhouse in the AFC now he didn't win a championship with them but he decided that he would he wants to give it a shot here in Chicago with the legendary franchise and you know possibly be our next Erlacher you know be that legendary middle linebacker that we're also that we're known so well for yeah, and it's so super encouraging that they fit that kind of player mold, right? These are not guys that are just purely money motivated, but they you know they fit like the kind of hits principle and kind of football players that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus seem to be really identifying and and prioritizing in that way. The other aspect of it, though, with with both Edmonds and Edwards as linebackers, it, coming to a rebuilding type situation in Chicago is like T.J. Edwards had a maybe the best defensive line in football in Philadelphia in front of him. And Tremaine Edmonds had a really strong defensive line in Buffalo too. So I think both of those guys are going to come to Chicago where defensive line is kind of the the one position that still has the biggest question marks on this team. And I do wonder a little bit how much of an adjustment that's going to be when you don't have, you know, pro bowl type guys in front of them, making their jobs that much easier. Yeah. Well, hopefully that will, hopefully that will work out, especially in the middle because we did emphasize that more so in the draft than in free agency. But like I said, I've heard Andrew Billings is, you know, a building on feet. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Gervon Dexter is not a tiny guy uh, by any stretch of the imagination either. And uh, Zach Pickens, I know he's over 300 pounds uh, as well. So maybe they may get a little bit more traffic, but it might take a little bit longer for them to get here than if they were in a Bears uniform last season. Uh, it just <laughs> seemed sure. like, you know, the first level just did nothing to protect our linebackers, and that's why we got ran over uh, by just about everyone we played uh, last year. So... But uh, we re-signed Dante Pettis. We, I don't know why, but we, we signed Nathan Peterman. Um, Equinemia, St. Brown, Kari Blazingame, they all you know, re-signed uh, with the Bears. Now, here's the, the, the interesting part, and this is the one that I wanted to talk about, Lauren, was our, were the guys that left uh, the team. Uh, and on, obviously, the tops on the list there would be David Montgomery, uh, who not only did not re-sign with the Bears, but stayed in division and signed with the Lions, and he's been vocal about it. 
uh, at times. And, um, you know, it sucks that he's not back. We all knew that it was a possibility. But when he actually signed with Detroit, it was like, God damn, he signed with Detroit and he signed for a sum. It's like, really? That's all he got? So it's like we couldn't give him $6 million a season to stay in Chicago? And, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of disappointing and very bittersweet to see him go. Yeah, and I've I've actually heard some reporting on this from from agents and stuff behind the scenes that the Bears offered more money to Jamal Williams who oh. went from the from the Lions to the Saints. Okay. And the Bears offered him more money than he got from the Saints. And actually it was more money than David Montgomery got from the Lions. So clearly like the Bears weren't totally opposed to paying the running back spot, uh-huh. but just evidently didn't want Put a, put a certain value on David Montgomery that was not as high as they would have been willing to pay Jamal Williams. And this, the story I was told is that the Lions were on the phone with Jamal Williams and his agent and basically said, hey, listen, we have David Montgomery on line two. You either take this offer or we're signing David. And Jamal Williams was so I- insulted by it that he yeah. blew up and, and left and then decided that he wanted to go to New Orleans over the Bears offer. And I just know the Bears offer was more total money, but I don't know the, the structure of the guarantees or the length. So it's possible that the Saints offer was you know better in, in those structured ways. But in terms of like the per year average, the Bears were willing to offer a little more than what Williams took with the Saints. But Instead, you know, Bears wait the long game and I think get a lot better value really on Dante Foreman for a sure. player that's still pretty darn good and you feel really good about this Bears backfield without Montgomery or Jamal Williams. Yeah, and finished really strong last year. Yes. Too. He had a really solid second half of the season uh, for Carolina. Once Steve Wilkes took over as head coach and they started running the ball uh, a lot more, Foreman, after they traded McCaffrey uh, to the 49ers, Foreman became their primary ball carrier and he did. Uh, a hell of a job. I think he, if he didn't have a thousand yards, he was damn close, and he did it all in like seven or eight weeks uh, last season. So he can be very productive, and it's kind of funny that he's not—he's the guy that's not really being talked about right now because Khalil Herbert is the incumbent, and everyone's so excited about Rashawn Johnson. I keep talking about the draft, and we're not there yet, but still, you know, people are really excited, and nobody's really talking about Dante Foreman uh, at this point, and he could end up being. Uh, RB1 out of the gate and, and, you know, show us all up at the, you know, when the season starts. Yeah, to me, like, not to get ahead of ourselves either, but, like, when it comes to, like, training camp battles, that's the one starting job that feels the most up for grabs. Certainly, you know, defensive line spots are are open there, and, you know, one of the cornerback spots could be open, and there's there's a couple other spots that you feel like, okay, we have a feeling who the starter's going to be, but it is still technically open. But, like, running back is the one spot where it could be Herbert, it could be Foreman, and it could be one of those spots where – Neither one truly feels like the starter. You know, like I think back to A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones in Green Bay under Lucchetti, where I, I believe Aaron Jones, like Lucchetti's last season there, Aaron Jones started 16 games, but A.J. Dillon ended up having more carries and rushing yards when it was all said and done, like mm. because they were so close in the split. But And even though Jones was the starter, Dillon ended up getting a little bit more of the workload. It was pretty darn close to 50-50 most of the year. Mm. That's interesting. But looking at the rest of the guys um, that we lost, there's there's really not a whole lot to talk about. I mean, the only other person that uh, that I feel was any kind of uh, significant was uh, Nick Morrow. Uh, he only being in Chicago for that one year, and he's off to uh, to fill it basically to replace T.J. Edwards in uh, Philadelphia. Everybody else, you know, Riley Reef. I, I mean, I appreciate what Riley Reef did. I guess he was last year's Jason Peters, you know, that guy that's up there uh, in years, and we, we called him uh, upon when we needed. And, 
you know, he played, he outplayed Larry Borum because uh, when Larry went down and uh, uh, Riley Reef came in, uh, my, my immediate thought was Riley Reef needs to be the starting right tackle going forward. And uh, hopefully, you know, thankfully that happened more than it didn't throughout the year. Uh, Armand Watts, yeah, it was like it was interesting to get him from Minnesota, but he didn't really move the needle too much. Trayvon Wesco was a waiver claim uh, kind of guy. Matt Adams was injured more than he was on the field. Angelo Blackson, a very quiet two-year stint uh, in Chicago. He's off to Baltimore. Uh, Sam Mustafer, thank God in heaven he is not our problem anymore. And then Trevor Simeon uh, goes off to back up Joe Burrow uh, in Cincinnati, and that's everybody we lost uh, from last year. One one name that jumps out at me that you didn't mention there because somehow he hasn't signed with anybody is DeAndre Houston Carson. Yes. Yes, I mean he's, he's he's on my list here, like under question mark. Yeah, he hasn't signed with anyone, and then and I was just talking. I forget who. I think it was when I was talking with the Saints for Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. I was like, because he was mentioning somebody who was just like DeAndre Houston Carson, where he signed a series of one year deals after his rookie deal ran out. It's like our guy is DeAndre Houston Carson. He hasn't signed with anybody, and I'm hoping that we do because he's like our um, oh twenty seven. What was his name? Um, like Sherrick McManus. McManus. He's the, he, he took over as the Sherrick McManus, where he's, yeah, he's good on defense, but he's mostly our special teams guy, and that's what we depend on him for the most. So, yeah, I'm wondering what's going to happen with him uh, as well. It's, the, it's baffling for me. Like, it's one thing if the Bears just said, all right, you know, like, DeAndre, like, we appreciate it, but we're just moving on. But, like, for no team to have been like, hey, that guy, that guy started games for the Bears the last two years, and I I was impressed. Like, I didn't think he was going to go out and become someone's day one starter, but he's a guy that I felt like if you had an injury at safety and you had to put Houston Carson in there, you weren't, like, worried that he was going to get torched. He's right. not going to be a playmaker, but you're not worried that he's going to get torched and be a huge liability on your defense. And, like, that's valuable. That's, like, that's really valuable. So my, my, my main theory is, like, okay, maybe he's a veteran who didn't didn't want to have to go to minicamp and OTAs and has a handshake deal to come back to either the Bears or some team right at training camp, you know, like some of these other veterans that are still just kind of biding their time to come back a little bit later in the offseason so they don't have to do all that mandatory crap that they don't want to. But, like, other than that, like, he seems like a good dude. He's really valuable on special teams, good enough on defense. Like, that's that's worth at the least a minimum deal, if not, you know, a couple million dollars on a one-year deal. Yeah, and I think we're down to the single digits from the team, team the, the people that played for this team under Ryan Pace in 2021 to the team that's going to take the field in 2023. I think we're down to single digits now, and DeAndre Houston Carson would be one of the longest tenured Bears uh, still left uh, from that era, you know, if he does in fact come back. So it's interesting to see what's what's, uh, what's going to happen uh, with him. So, yeah, I didn't put him on the loss list because he doesn't belong to anybody. Uh, right now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, situation. And like I said, when I was talking to Ross Jackson from the saints, I forget who the player he said it was, but like, they have a guy just like that. He's more on special teams. He can play if you need him to. And he's been signing, he's been on a series of one year deals since his rookie contract ran out about three or four years ago. And I was like, yeah, Deandre Houston Carson is that guy. We haven't re-signed him yet. So yeah, it's interesting that, uh, you know, to see what, what could or could not happen, uh, with Deandre. I did just a really quick off the top of my head count. That's not going to be accurate, but I, I I got to at least 13. Really? 
lingering bears. Yeah, mm-hmm. because there's enough of those rookies from 2020 draft class that are all sure. still here that were, sure. were part of that. And then you also include Cairo Santos and Patrick Scales on special teams, adds a couple extra more there too, okay. but just barely, but not quite double digits. Yeah. Or not quite single digits, I mean. Right, Sorry. well, I mean, it's just that, you know, Poles did such a, uh, I don't want to say amazing job, but, uh, you know, he scaled Swift. it down to like, you know, 19 before kickoff last year. So I figured that, you know, we probably lost a handful more, if not more, uh, you know, going into this year that we might be down at the single digits uh, at this point. But 13 sounds about right. So, but, um, so yeah, I mean, it was an exciting offseason. But, you know, at the same time, I, I think we learned a lot about our general manager because instead of, you know, going crazy and gorging himself on free agents, he was very measured. With the guys that he signed, they were looking for a very specific thing. We mentioned it before, guys that wanted to be here. Obviously, McGlinchey didn't want to be in Chicago because when Denver came in with a higher offer, he took the money and went to Denver. Same thing with, like, um, Javon Hargrave and Zach Allen and all that. They, they were offering more than the Bears were willing to go. I mean, Poles had a ceiling, and he stuck with it, and it uh, – it formed how free agency was going to go and also really determined how he was going to handle the draft. And as a result, like that's, I think that's why we're left with the pass rush question and the defensive line question yeah. a little bit, because like he said, like you can't, he, he was saying you can't fill every hole in, in, the, in this, at least not on this team in this off season. And I, I do get that. I think, I think the real, the real phrase there is like, you can't fill every hole responsibly yeah. in the, in one off season. I think cause, cause he could have, I mean, the Bears have enough cap space. They could have paid whoever, however much they want. You know, a defensive lineman, a top flight pass. I mean, there weren't really great pass rushers, but he, if he really wanted to, he could have signed somebody, but it might not have been a player who was the right scheme fit or that might not have been the right locker room fit and certainly would have been probably more money than he's willing to spend. And who knows, they could still, between now and you know the start of the season, sign a Justin Houston or a Yannick Ngakwe or somebody that still fills that hole, but... To, to his point, like, it's got to add the word responsibility in there. Like, yeah, there's still going to be holes in this team because I can't fill everything responsibly. And I think first and foremost, like, he wanted to be responsible with the team-building process and the finances to just not try and go all in on doing whatever he can to win a Super Bowl in 2023 because yeah. he knows this is still a younger team that is going to get better and is going to be more competitive this season, but is not. this is not like they're all in on a Super Bowl kind of year. Yeah, and, and, and everything that he's done speaks to that. You know, he he is conducting himself as though he's conducting a, you know, three to five year plan versus, you know, when when Ryan Pace came in, the first opportunity he had to spend like a maniac in 2018, he did. He went out and signed everything that wasn't nailed down uh, and then traded for Khalil Mack to go all in on 2018 for one reason or another. And it almost worked. It almost worked. If, you know, we get past the, the Eagles, I'm. I'm certain we would have done some more damage in the in the NFC if if not make be the uh, Patriot opponent in the in the Super Bowl uh, that year, but it didn't happen, and we fell apart quickly after that, uh, unfortunately. So, but um, going into the draft, as free agency moved into uh, the draft, a lot of questions about what the Bears might do. Even though we've got the number nine. Uh, pick we're in the spot to take a lot of different people uh, I know that you you know doing those locked on mock drafts had the Bears taking Jackson Smith uh, in Jigba at number nine he was still on the board when the Bears were picking didn't go until 20 uh, with the Seahawks a lot of people wanted us to take you know like never mind all the offside off offseason stuff or uh, whatever let's go with um, Jalen Carter 
uh, and everything. Hopefully Paris Johnson Jr. is still there and so on and so forth. But as the chips fall, the Bears had the opportunity to take Jalen Carter at number nine and then showed the world how they really didn't want him by trading out of the spot, one spot back to let Philly uh, take him. And then at number 10, we take Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright to come in and be our day one right tackle. I did appreciate, I don't think it was Ryan Poles' intention to make that such a loud and clear message, but <laughs> that, that felt good to me. Like, it yeah. just did a sense, like, because otherwise we would have had that, like, lingering question of, like, oh, man, did the Bears like Jalen Carter? You know, could right. they have taken Jalen Carter? And we're still going to have, like, the what if, and we're going to compare, I think, for years how good Jalen Carter was, knowing that they had the opportunity to take him, and that if he goes on to be great, we'll look back on it and say, oh, Ryan Poles got that one wrong. Yeah. But, like, at least we'll definitively know whether Ryan Poles got that wrong, right? It's not the, it's not the Aaron Donald, like, oh, man, he was one pick away from the Bears, and right. they, oh, man, we never got the chance. At least, like, we will know definitively Ryan Poles put his put his opinion out there, whether he wanted to or not, like, yep, we don't want him, loud and clear, and we we, we know that, and we don't have to like, question or doubt, like, oh, maybe the Bears really wanted him and never got a chance to take him. No, we know, and that's yeah. that's reassuring in some way, or at least gives us a, it gives us closure that I like. Yeah. Where, where, were you, where were you on that? I mean, I know you were taking Njigba in, in mock drafts and, and stuff like that, and he was there when the Bears were picking at 10. Did you like the Darnell Wright pick when it happened? I certainly wasn't uh, – was not team Jalen Carter at that point. Sure, um, sure. But, I mean, as far as, as far as Wright goes, like, yeah, I think it, it wasn't the sexy pick, but it right. was the solid pick, you know, and sometimes I think where the Bears are in terms of the draft or the team building process, sometimes that's what you need. Like, like Wright wasn't my favorite of the offensive linemen, the offensive tackles in this draft class, but certainly once Paris Johnson Jr. is gone, like, yeah, you, you feel like you got to take one of the guys there. Like, you, you certainly would have been worried about trading down and losing them. Like, I wanted to get one of the offensive tackles there. You would have liked to get more to move down, but it was, it was, it kind of felt like there, there wasn't a golden option at that point. I mean, I would have been fine with JSN, but like besides that, like the tackles, you might have some question marks about the past rushers. You might have had some questions about, we didn't really want to take a corner back there. Although Christian Gonzalez certainly was tempting from, from Oregon. So like mm-hmm. there wasn't like a, a surefire, like, Oh man, this guy was sitting there and the bears took Darnell right instead. It was like, well, they got, they got a handful of options that are all decent. I'm fine with this one. And right. you know, if the bears really believe he is the best offensive tackle for them in this class, I'm certainly willing to see them out on it and know that they've spent a lot more time and have a lot more information on Wright And the other offensive linemen than I did there. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Right. Well, thanks to the chase Claypool trade, it was 43 picks before the bears uh, had to pick again. And, and, um, it kind of turned out that, uh, you know, everyone was thinking, you know, pass rusher uh, with the, at least the top pick in the second round uh, at 53, but it just, the board just didn't fall that way, you know, because once the Bears made their pick with Darnell Wright, Lucas Van Eskos to uh, Green Bay, Tyree Wilson was already off the board. Obviously, Will Anderson was number three uh, as he goes to the, you know, the Texans when they're making their moves uh, and things like that. And just about everybody else the Bears could have considered in the second round went off the board before we had a chance to get them. And then it's just like for the rest of the draft, it just didn't seem to fall for the value um, for the, for the bears to take a pass rusher because for a team that needed one. Yeah. We signed a couple of defensive ends in free agency, but we didn't draft one at any level in, in the, in the draft. And then, you know, Ryan pulls, you know, as you mentioned a moment, a moment ago, you know, you can't fill all the holes in one off season and like you said, can't fill them responsibly. 
uh, in, in one offseason, and defensive end slash edge rusher was one of those uh, positions that never really seemed to fall into the Bears' lap for the remainder of the draft. Yeah, there was a real run on them in the early second round to where it would have been fairly expensive for the Bears to move up for them, and, like, mm-hmm. it, it might have still been worth it, but, but you know, they, they chose not to. But, I mean, like, right away, like, early on in there, uh, Derek Hall from Auburn went off the board a couple picks later. Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame and B.J. Ojolari from LSU went back-to-back. A few picks later, Keon White from Georgia Tech went off the board. Right. And yeah. uh, all of a sudden, it's just defensive tackles that are more or less left, and that's why they started with Javon Dexter there in, at 53. But, you know, I, I at least can feel like compared to last year when – the Bears took two defensive backs in the second round and there were wide receivers on the board and you were sitting there thinking like, man, really wish Ryan Poles would have taken one of those wide receivers or, you know, there was always that like other player that's like, oh, he was on the board and you really should have taken him. Like this time there wasn't like that. It would have been more frustrating again if there was like that pass rusher who was sitting there and the Bears still didn't take him in the second round. At least the, the, the pool there available to Poles wasn't cooperating and you can't sit there and kind of second guess what you think they should have done with those picks instead. Yeah. I'm not the world's biggest draft guy, but the only person that I really feel like the bears, like he was right there and we didn't take him was, um, the center from Minnesota. Yes. Um, John Michael, uh, John Schmitz. Michael Schmitz. He was there at 56, uh, when the bears took Tyreek Stevenson, the corner out of Miami, who I'm hearing fantastic things, uh, about, but we could have had John, John Michael Schmitz, at 56, and he goes, I think, one pick later, or at least at the, at the most, yep. two to the Giants uh, at 57 or 58 uh, when, we, when we took uh, Stevenson. To me, you know, I'm not the world's biggest draft guy, so I couldn't, couldn't speak on you know, the later rounds of the draft. But to me, like, that's, that's the one, like you mentioned, the wide receivers on the board last year and we took the corners or the defensive backs – kind of thing. That was the one spot where it's like John Michael Smith is right there. We got our defensive tackle to plug up the middle. There he is sitting right there. Let's solidify the middle of that offensive line and go with him. And instead we, we went with, with uh, Tyreek, uh, Tyreek Stevenson. That's the one time in the draft where I was like, he was sitting right there and we, we went another way. That's what I'm going to kind of keep my eyes on as we go forward uh, with both of those guys' careers. Yeah. It, it, it's where you get into this, struggle between like need and best player available a little bit where the bears always claim they're going to take best player available. But in terms of what this roster needed right away, at least in 2023, Stevenson can come in and and be a potential upgrade over Kendall Vildor versus like John Michael Schmitz. Like we do feel pretty good about this bears offensive line starting five as it is right now. Like I love John Michael Schmitz as a prospect agreed. Like he, he, you have him on the bench for one season or maybe he even starts as a rookie and you move, other players around to still fill out the starting lineup, but like, you know, he's not making as big potentially of an immediate, immediate impact as Tyreek Stevenson. But at the same time, you know, you're not making draft picks for what they're going to do in the first year. You're making draft picks for what they're going to do five and 10 years down the line. And it does feel like Schmitz could have been such a great fit for that. But you know, at least, at least Stevenson is a player that we feel like we can be excited about and might make a, a bigger immediate impact as opposed to like if they had taken back-to-back defensive tackles there and passed mm-hmm. John Michael Schmitz and like both of those defensive tackles are going to be backups this year. And you'd be like, man, you could have had a center who might be a starter right away. Like, yeah, but uh, you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in there. And and as you said, like maybe they felt like they could get a center later on and it didn't end up working out and right. one way or the other, but I would have liked John Michael Schmitz as well. He's, he's great. Yeah. So we passed over Javon Dexter. I mean, we've been talking about him, but it was like, there was, you know, I don't want to say controversy, but there were some doubts about the pick because of what the Bears want to do and what he spent all of his time at Florida doing as far as, like, how he was used uh, at Florida. And 
Ryan Poles assured us, and I even you know saw an interview with his uh, with with Dexter's uh, position coach at Florida, where it's like you know we weren't asking what what the Bears want our defensive linemen to do because you got to get home with four, and our defense is penetrate. You want them upfield, getting after. Uh, the quarterback, and instead at Florida, it was more of a read and react. Like they were almost like the offensive linemen of the defense kind of thing at Florida, where they're going parallel to the line of scrimmage instead of getting upfield. And the Florida defensive tackle or defensive line coach, he's like, yeah, he's going to be really good at that. He's he's, <laughs> he's he can get up. You know, he's got speed. He's got the strength. He he's you know for for a man his size, he's got all the tools that you're looking for. You know, if that's what the Bears want him to do, he's going to be just fine. We weren't asking him to do that, but he can and he will in Chicago. Yeah, it's just a matter of how long it takes. You know, right. I mean, it's going yeah, to yeah. be an adjustment. I mean, it's an adjustment for every rookie, but let alone a rookie now being asked to do slightly different things and maybe change his body a little bit and maybe a slightly different position to play a little bit more nose tackle versus a little more three technique and how they want to use him. Like, I'm trying to keep my rookie season expectations low for Javon <laughs> Dexter just because defensive line in general is a, is a slow to adjust to the NFL position. And then on top of it, he's a developmental prospect and has to make a lot of transition. Like it's, I, I'm, I'm trying to realize that like it's the long game with him too, and not to get too caught up in that. Yeah. Uh, that was another guy that uh, Ross Jackson talked about. He, he was hoping that he would still be there when the saints were picking uh, in the second round. And um, you know, with this, like if, if, if he hadn't been there, or actually, if if I think it was like if Foskey was off the board at forty when they picked him, that Gravon Dexter was probably the next guy off the board uh, for them. So one of those other fortunate things for the Bears, that guy just landed uh, in our lap at four fifty three. If what Ross was saying was true, so uh, that's interesting. Um, the only time I think in the entire draft where we actually took the pick that was ours was the top pick in the third round with Zach Pickens because we traded number one overall, 53 and 56 were not our picks. We got both of those in trades. Um, The first pick in the third round was 64. We take Zach Pickens, and I think the rest of the way, we don't pick again because we traded the the top pick in the fourth round, the starting day three. We traded that. We traded down uh, for that one. I don't think 148 is the first pick in the fifth round. Uh, and so on. So it's like we did not pick at our actual original draft spot pretty much any time except for taking Zach Pickens in the third round, uh, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Yeah, we're starting to have a pretty clear track record and history here for Ryan Poles yeah. of, of draft trades that we're going to see. I think, you know, what the first season was like, okay, the first draft, I guess, was like, oh, okay, that was that was a lot of move, wheeling and dealing. And now we're like, okay, we got a pattern here of moving around quite a bit up and down and really trying to, I think, more generally like uh, accumulate more draft picks as opposed to the, the Ryan Pace method a lot of times was losing draft picks and they didn't have as full of draft classes in right. there a few different times. What was really interesting about what Ryan Poles did was that we traded up from 61 to 56 to get Tyreek Stevenson, gave up a fifth-round pick to do that, and then we got that fifth-round pick back when we traded down with the Saints in the fourth round. Um, you know, we got it. We got that extra fifth-round pick back uh, and, and everything. So Ryan Poles replaced the pick he used to get Tyreek Stevenson when he traded back to 115, which ended up being uh, one of the picks that everyone's really excited. Actually, both of those picks in the fourth round – People are really excited about Rashawn Johnson, the running back from Texas, who was overshadowed by the fact he was sharing a backfield with Bijan Robinson and Tyler Scott, the wide receiver 
uh, from Cincinnati who, uh, you know, before last season was, was taking lumps from Sauce Gardner uh, in practice because they were teammates in college. Yeah, those two guys represent like the best, which feels like the best combination of talent and value, yeah. right? Like, and sometimes the fourth round can be a little bit more that way, but like, those are players that feel like they're better than where they got drafted, but like, you didn't have to give up a ton to get them because neither one of those was a position of like high need, right? I mean, you got three great wide receivers or th- three wide receivers at the top of your depth chart that you don't question here. And we just talked about how this backfield looks really good with the two guys, the two veteran guys at top. So like neither Johnson nor Scott is a guy that was like, oh man, thank God the Bears filled that running back or wide receiver need. But at the same time, like you really like both of those players as having a lot of upside, but also still being able to potentially contribute in some ways in their rookie season and, and maybe offer at least a little bit of something different than what the Bears already have, where, where Roshan Johnson is a much better blocker out of the backfield than a guy like Khalil Herbert and, mm-hmm. to some extent, Foreman, and also has shown some upside as a receiver as well, in addition to his rushing ability. And, and Tyler Scott's got some of that speed and that vertical ability that certainly the Bears have in other players, but he offers, I think, a, a more specific brand of vertical field stretching, perhaps. It just means he's, he's a little more one-dimensional than those other guys, but you feel yeah. like he can pop in in certain packages and certain plays and situations to just either let him go deep or get the ball in his hands underneath and let a fast player cook. Like, you always love to add speed wherever you can. Yeah, it, it seems like... Uh, like in in, uh, in in baseball with with football, it, like the further you get down the draft board, the the you know the less complete the player is, the more developing that they need. And I think when when we got to to Tyler Scott, he he may be a one or two one or two tool kind of guy, as opposed to you know like guys like Wright and Dexter and Stevenson that you know probably have a few more you know bullets in the chamber than uh, than the guys you're going to be picking on. Day three, and one of the things that they talked about quite a bit with Tyler Scott was that he has, you know, take the top off the defense type speed, and that uh, you know we could use a guy like that, especially with a guy like Fields who could throw it out of the stadium if you really had to. Yeah, and just adding to like what's already a fast offense mm-hmm. to like give you speed like a, like truly across the board when you have a really fast quarterback really fast backs in the backfield and like multiple they have like three or four wide receivers now that ran like four or four or faster at, mm-hmm. at the combine or maybe five with Bayless Jones Tyler Scott DJ Moore I don't know if he was quite a four four guy but then you know Chase Claypool and and Dar- Darnell Mooney like you can't just put your fastest defensive back on one or two of these Bears receivers like you could get out there with an all speed lineup that's really going to be tough for teams to keep up with Everybody keeps forgetting. I mean, and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, like I'm looking at like, oh, DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney. Who's that number four guy, to, you know, going to be? Is it going to be Tyler Scott, you know, drafting him? Number four, it's not a big responsibility. You know, number, th- you know, you're not looking, you know, they're not the number one target, uh, you know, on every play and kind of things like that. But it's like when, when you know, it's like, well, Dante Pettis is coming back. It's going St. Brown, you know, had some spots last season. I, I keep forgetting about Valus Jones probably because of, you know, for lack of a better term, what a disappointment he was last year. Yeah, it's. it does feel like there's been a certain level of kind of writing him off. Like when the team goes out and not only trades for Chase Claypool halfway through last season, which kind of pushed Bayless Jones down, but then trades for DJ Moore and drafts a rookie wide receiver in the fourth round. Right. Like it does send a certain message of the level of confidence in Valus Jones, right? They weren't going into the season thinking, all right, Valus is going to step up and become our new number two or number three wide receiver. Like clearly they came in and said, at best, we want this guy to be fourth and maybe he ends up fifth or sixth when it's all said and done. Like, I do think it does send a certain message with their actions. there, speaking a little louder than words, but at the same time, 
that doesn't mean they're completely writing him off. It just might right. mean, hey, he's going to need some more time and still developing and we shouldn't have to rely on him to be more than he is at this stage and can still be a contributor and be valuable. But I don't know. I think we are also a bit scarred by drop passes, muff punts, fumbles, and just general uh, inconsistency from him. Well, that's what I was about to say was that, and the thing that we drafted, what gave him value in the third round was his special teams play, and he was abysmal at that uh, at times last year. As a matter of fact, quite the, in, in bunches there at the beginning uh, of the season, the muff punt in the in that game against the Giants, and then you know that whole thing with the. Where the where the where the grass came up and bit him, uh, you know, to where the you know the ball's hitting him in the face instead of hitting him in the chest because he falls to his knees before the ball got there. It was the one touchdown the the I was going to say Redskins Commanders managed to score uh, in that football game and ultimately became the the game winning score uh, in that ball game because without that touchdown the Bears win seven to six uh, instead of you know the twelve to seven you know margin of victory uh, loss that we had uh, in that one. So it's like what we. What we were expecting from him in the beginning, not only did he not do it, but he was really bad at it at the same time. And then, you know, he had those injuries early on where he kept, he was in camp, he was out of camp, uh, and so on. Didn't start playing until that Giants game week four. And this is how he's introduced to the fan base by muffing a big pun at the end of the game. Yeah, you just hope that kind of thing doesn't stick with him yeah. from a confidence standpoint, which I mean, it, does, it does feel like how often that happens where it's just like we on the outside see a player mess up a bunch and it just, he just never recovers fully from that. Even just reputationally, like maybe he does play better than that, but mm-hmm. the, the fan association is like Chris Conti and blowing a big <laughs> touchdown. And he, he goes on to start uh. games for the Buccaneers and have a, a, you know, a decent extension of his career, but he just, you can't escape certain associations when you just get uh, soured on a fan base and not to make Velas Jones that much of a scapegoat, but just yeah. that sort of thing is, is tough. And it, sometimes it can be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there. And the doubt is, is real and lack of fan support or confidence from the fans is just something that can be really tough to get over. But I certainly hope for Velas Jones that he can become more of that. And I wondered if given like before they had signed Dante Foreman and drafted Roshan Johnson, if they would consider putting him in the backfield, you know, after they traded for, DJ Moore, like, yeah. okay, you got three wide receivers ahead of him. Could he play some running back and be a Cordero Patterson type player? But sure. now, I mean, they've got so much running back now, too, that he doesn't have any better opportunity there. So I don't think that kind of thing's going to happen. But he, he's a fast player. That's one way to get the ball in his hands is to literally hand it to him out of the backfield. And I think running back can be like kick returning sometimes. And I wondered if that might be a path for him, but it doesn't look that way now. Okay. I want to establish a new rule on this podcast. No one, and I hope everyone is listening. No one is allowed to bring up Chris Conti ever again. Okay, <laughs> every time I hear that bastard's name, my heart breaks all over again. Okay, now I don't think the Bears could have run rough shots in 2013, you know, and run the table in the playoffs, but we'll never know because that asshole blew the coverage. He was the one person that didn't get the audible from Lance Briggs. He lets you know Randall Cobb go running right past him. And we blow the game on fourth down and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So no one is allowed to bring up Chris Conti ever again. Okay. I'm tired of it. I have my Buccaneers guy tease me about it, uh, you know, when, when he came on the show uh, a week or two ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm done with Chris Conti. I don't want to hear the guy's name ever again. He's done and gone and, you know, happy to live with his concussions because he's an idiot. And, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about Chris Conti anymore. So he's banned can- from – all future podcasts. 
That's the new C word on this yes, podcast. That is the new C word. The C word. That guy's C-word. a real Conti. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. New rule. That's the only acceptable use of that name. Is that you know he's a real Conti. There you go. Beautiful. I love it. You know, write it in stone. Where where you know there it is right there. So. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, in the fifth round, because we're still talking about the draft, um, we may have gotten one of our biggest steals, uh, with Noah Sewell, uh, the linebacker out of, uh, Oregon. Cause I keep hearing like, if he'd have come out in 2022, he might've been a first round pick or at least a first or a second rounder because of what he was doing, uh, in Oregon, but he stayed in school. He had some injuries and his draft stock, uh, you know, tanked where he's going, you know, back end of the fifth round. I find myself a little more skeptical on Noah Sewell than I think other people. And maybe that's not fair, but I, I am concerned about, we saw his, his last season. And I, I think, I think it's easy to say, it's always easy to look back and say, Oh man, if that player had come out at this, this year, instead of the other year, he would have been X round pick because that's without that player having to go through the pre-draft process of, you know, the combine and maybe the senior bowl or, or an all-star game and, and the pro day stuff that can ultimately affect a lot of draft stock. And like, there's always, there's always so many players. It's like, Oh man, if he had come out, then he would have been such a high draft pick. And we don't, we don't always know that. And certainly I know that's not you making that evaluation. Right. If that's, that's yeah, what yeah. people were saying, but like, it's really easy to say, Oh man, if that player had done something differently, hypothetical, he would have been a high draft pick when, yeah, we might have projected him at that point during that season, but just because we project a guy there during a season doesn't mean that ultimately ends up being where he goes. And I feel like there are some legit like speed concerns with him and 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 some durability stuff too that put him more in the like Jack Sanborn, TJ Edwards category of guys who ended up going undrafted. And certainly like the fifth round is a lot better than going undrafted. And and not to say that Sewell was like an undrafted quality type player, but just like, I think some of the concerns about him don't just come from his senior year at Oregon. And some of them were there before, but he had certainly better numbers and better stats. And we were, it's easier to kind of overlook those things because he never really got put under the same like draft microscope of like projecting that to the NFL. So I mean, I still think Sewell is a, is a good draft pick and could be a great special teams player and maybe develop into a starter. But I'm not as confident that like, He's this absolute amazing diamond in the rough, but you know, could even be a Nick Kwiatkowski type that you feel like is a good starter down the line. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm certainly all, all for it. Right. Uh, then our second pick, uh, Terrell Smith, we got another corner, this one out of Minnesota. And then the, I guess he's maybe like the Cinderella pick of our, of our, uh, you know, draft class, uh, Travis Bell, the defensive tackle out of Kennesaw state. And, and mostly because he's like Ryan Pohl's favorite person ever. Uh, apparently like he just fell in love with the kid uh, during the draft uh, during the draft process. He's the first person drafted out of uh, uh, Kennesaw state university uh, and everything. And he was our second to last second to last draft choice uh, in the, in the class. And uh, you know, wouldn't it just be something if he turned out to be the gem of the class? Yeah. He might be the one that I'm most just like intrigued about from top to bottom. I mean, perhaps part of it's just that, you know, at Ken, I mean, I don't have Kennesaw State film to go watch, so like he he is a bit of the unknown there. But but when Ryan Poles puts such a specific personal stamp on him, yeah, like to me, that really does raise the expectations. Like there is not necessarily like 
I mean, for Bell sort of, but like for Ryan Poles, it's like that pick is going to teach me something about Ryan Poles. Like if he nails that seventh round pick that he put his stamp on, it's like, oh, okay, like this GM knows what he's doing. And maybe that's not fair because it's a seventh round pick and the vast majority of seventh round picks never really do anything in the NFL. And so if Travis Bell flames out, that doesn't mean Ryan Poles is a bad general manager because he got a seventh round pick wrong. Right. But man, at the same time, for a GM to be like that specifically personal about that draft pick to me really spoke volumes. And it's like, all right, Ryan Poles, this is your guy. Like this is, this is your son. This is your dude. Like, let's see what you're able to do with him. Let's see just how smart and genius you are at this. Right. Yeah. And then our final pick was like what second to third last pick in the entire draft. Uh, Kendall Williams sent us a safety out of uh, Stanford. So, you know, overall, you know, I think we got a lot of positive grades for our draft class, and obviously that doesn't mean a whole lot, uh, you know, knee-jerk right after the draft and everything. But, you know, overall, people had, you know, pretty impressed with what the Bears came away with uh, in 2023. Yeah, and that always, like, it certainly it's not like a strong correlation to how good they're going to be in the NFL, but that always gives you a little bit more confidence there that you feel like, okay, not only is uh, is the are the Bears confident in these players, but there's also some outward consensus, you know, co- uh, confidence in these players, and that idea of like the wisdom of the crowd there a- adding up to like. Obviously, the Bears are always going to be confident in the players that they pick, but then when no one else is confident in the players the Bears pick, then you kind of feel like okay, then we get we better hope that the Bears know better than everybody else. Right. But when there's some when there's some agreement there, then you start to feel like okay, like there's more people are seeing some of the same things as the bears. And that's a good sign that this regime that we're still kind of, kind of getting used to and feeling out seems to be on some sort of right track. Although certainly the crowd is not the wisdom of the crowd is not always hundred percent accurate either. So, you know, it's, it's a give and take. What would you give Ryan Poles as an approval rating at this point in his uh, tenure as our GM? It's so hard because he's playing the long game. Yeah. And and so like it's always been like a, well let's let's see him let's let's see this through like last year was all the criticism of like oh they didn't do enough to build around Justin Fields right. and I mean they didn't but they but it was like they couldn't in right, a lot exactly. of ways I mean that clearly was the thing. it's the, like I agree yeah. they didn't put a lot around him but Ryan Ryan Pace left the cupboard as bare as he possibly could have for Ryan Poles to take over what was he supposed to do we didn't really have. Those assets. I mean, yeah, we had Khalil Mack, but you know, we tra- we got what we could uh, for him and everything. But overall, it's like, what was Ryan's poll supposed to do with what Pace left behind? It's like, yeah, you're right. He didn't do enough, and I'm not happy with the field with the team that's going to take the field. But he did it the best that he could, as far as I'm concerned. And I think we even got away with one when the Larry Ogunjobi deal didn't work out. Yeah, agreed. But then, like, now we get into this offseason and like still hasn't done enough on the pass rush. Like, there's another yeah. another one of these like what looks like a, a fairly valid criticism that I think unless he does something more about the pass rush between now and, and week one, like will prove to be correct that like, yeah, that was a problem. And Ryan Poles was unable to properly address it. Now, whether that's like his fault, like you were saying, like last year, I, I, I agree. Like the bears didn't have the room or the space or the, the means to properly build around Justin Fields. So I'm willing to sort of say, yeah, I, I like that. I don't really fully blame Ryan Poles for not doing enough there. Cause he had a thousand things to do and could do about 10 of them. But 
this year, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like there wasn't a great free agent pass rusher available to him. Right. There wasn't a great draft pick pass rusher available to him. So, I mean, there are okay free agent pass rushers still available, right? It's not like there's nothing he could do, but it's not like he just sat there and completely ignored this thing or didn't try. I mean, he signed Rasheem Green and Demarcus Walker right. and drafted two defensive tackles and, and brought in Andrew Billings. Like he did stuff. It's just not exactly <laughs> the stuff that we, that we wanted. So I, I'm again left like I, I'm not ready to like, like I think there are valid criticisms of Ryan Poles, but I'm still not ready to say like that means he's not doing a good job or is a bad GM. But I think it's the decisions he started to make this year that will really tell us how good of a GM he is. If Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards really pan out as free agents, you know, if, if Kyler Gordon, Tyreek Stevenson and Jaquan Brisker pan out as second round picks that need to be quality starters long-term in this bear secondary. And if DJ Moore is a good fit and depending on whether they resign or, or, or let Darnell Mooney go and Jalen Johnson too, like these are the kind of like decisions that will start to have the longer term effects. Whereas like last season and last off season, a lot of guys signed on one year deals. A lot of guys that were just kind of temporary pieces to get them by while they reset now he's laying the actual like foundational pieces and these are the guys that have to hit and if they don't hit that's going to be ryan poles like down downfall essentially absolutely i i I totally agree but it's like you know i I really like the way he's been carrying himself the the moves that he has made and why he's making them you know it's you know maybe it's rose-colored glasses but i i really do uh you know love what he's done up to this point you know i was like i agree there's definitely it's not all it's not all perfect, you know, the pass rush thing and, and, uh, and whatnot. It, it, you know, it definitely uses, could use some work, or the edge rusher, I should say, uh, and whatnot. But, you know, the reasons that he gave for not just going out and signing anything that wasn't pinned down uh, kind of thing, you know, like I can see it. And what, what I've been saying for the majority of the offseason was that the way that he's conducting himself is that he doesn't want the Bears to win in 20, just win in 2023. He wants to still be winning in 2033, you know, kind of like because he came from the Chiefs where they've had this long, consistent, you know, winning streak uh, going on. Six straight division titles, five straight AFC championship games, three Super Bowl appearances, two trophies, and so on. That's what he wants to see. That's what he wants to build the Bears uh, into. And that's that's what makes sense when you look at what he's done and even what he hasn't done. Say, I'm not going to be able to do it all at once, so... This offseason, it didn't happen. We'll see what we can do next year in the draft or in you know free agency next year because there might be a Chase Young on the board uh, next year when it comes to free agency. And we've still we didn't spend our whole wad uh, on money, so we'll have enough to sign him uh, if he's worth it next offseason. And what I've appreciated about Ryan Poles, I think maybe the most throughout that whole process, is. The, the, at least the level of transparency. It's yeah. never going to be perfect transparency because there's competitive reasons there. But like, I just remember with, with Ryan Pace, he, it felt like too often he tried to gaslight us on some of the things he did. Like, I'll never forget, I think it was before the 2021 season, the, 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 his last year before he got fired. Remember they win that year at cornerback with, with Jalen Johnson on one side, and then the other side was a competition between, you know, Artie Burns and Desmond Trufant and Duke Shelley and a, yeah. a, a rookie or young Kendall Vildor and Thomas Graham. And, and I remember Ryan Poles, like, either at the beginning of training camp or at the end of the preseason saying like, yeah, we're really confident in our cornerback position and all the competition we have there. 
And it's same kind of thing on the offensive line that year. Like that right side of that offensive line was like Elijah Wilkinson and Jermaine Effetti, Larry Borum, and Alex Bars. And he's like, yeah, we feel really good about the linemen that we have in there. And they were all terrible, and we knew they would all be terrible, and he was trying to convince us that they wouldn't be terrible. Yeah. And it just, it just made him look even worse mm-hmm. for having gotten it wrong and then being confidently loud wrong about how bad those were. Whereas Ryan Poles, on their hand, says, like, listen, we're, we're building around Justin Fields. But we can't fix everything in this offseason. And he even says this year, like, hey, we're still going to have weaknesses here. Like, we're not done in this process. I'm not going to try and fool you and say, like, yep, roster is complete. We should be competing for a Super Bowl this year. He's like, no, like, we're we're working on it. And, like, just him leveling with us and meeting us at, like, at a real, like, person-to-person kind of way as the yeah. GM, like, just so refreshing and makes me feel like I have a little more faith in trusting what he says and trusting in his process. I think the best way we can put it is that Ryan Poles treats the fans like grown-ups. Yes. You know? He feeds us as much truth as we can possibly, you know, as we can, as he can possibly give us, you know, and, and, and giving it to it in a way that we can handle it. You know, he's not trying to sugarcoat things or to, you know, as you were saying, pull the wool over our eyes so we can be really excited at Alex bars at right guard uh, this season, you know, and things <laughs> like that is like, no. Okay. It's like, we're, we've got some weaknesses We're you know, we're, we're still not where we want to be yet, but we're excited with uh, where we're at. Right now, it's like we've still got a lot of work to do uh, and things like that and, and, and what have you. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've we're, we're confident uh, going forward that we're, we're going to make progress this year. Doesn't mean we're going to win the division and go to the Super Bowl or anything like that. But, you know, we should be better than we were last year. And the next year will be better than that and so on and so forth. That's the game Ryan Poles is playing. So uh, it's refreshing. It is. indeed, <laughs> And I, I think that's why I like him so much is because he's treating the fans like grownups for me pace kind of um i don't want to say hurt me but like his reputation took a ding with me with the way he handled kevin white that whole situation with how he you know he suffered that injury in otas and they dragged it along basically just blew smoke up our butts about how good he was doing or how well he was you know we're just being careful blah 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 and then all of a sudden we get hit in the face well he's got to have surgery and that's pretty much going to cost him his rookie year like what what do you mean? It's like it was it was nothing and it was just an ankle sprain. Now we find out it's a stress fracture and he needs surgery. What the hell, man? You know, it's just, you know, just kind of blindsided the entire fan base with, oh, you know, this guy that we picked to replace Brandon Marshall that everybody loved in the Barry uniform. He was supposed to be the next guy. Yeah, he's probably not going to play this year because of this injury that we said was nothing but turned out to be damn near catastrophic. So... Yeah, his reputation took a hit from me pretty much from jump because that was his first season as our general manager. Yeah, so. that was his first big draft pick. Like yeah. that was that was going to be what sets the foundation for him. And it just and certainly it gets soured with the subsequent draft picks. You know, the, 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 there was a lot there was a lot to not like at that point. Oh, but man. it's the little things come sometimes that just yeah, linger I, a little more. We did an entire episode, um, myself and Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery. We we went through our top ten picks that we liked and top 10 picks that we hated, like knee-jerk reaction style. You know, like, I, I loved the uh, Gabe Creamy pick. Boy, that didn't work out, you know. And I absolutely, number one on the board for me was Mitch Trubisky. And it had nothing to do with Mitch himself, but the fact that I was like, we are not ready for a quarterback. I keep hearing everybody talking about Deshaun Watson or, you know, or what I don't even think we were talking about Matt Mahomes, but it's like, no way. Are we ready for that? It's like after the off the off season that that Pace had, it was like Marcus Wright's going to be our what? No, absolutely not. Do not draft a quarterback. 
because this we seem like the team that's got to build up and then plug the quarterback in kind of thing, and we are not that team right now. Do not take a quarterback, and not only did we take one, we gave up like two third-round picks and a fourth to move up one spot to get the guy that nobody else was trying to get at the same time. It's just like I just was off the top of my mind pissed uh, when that whole thing happened. It was it was trash, and then it didn't work out. On top of it all, it didn't work out. So, yeah, bad moves. That feels that feels like another one of those names that maybe we shouldn't say on the podcast anymore. <laughs> you know, Mitch had his moments. He didn't. He, he wasn't. Did. He wasn't embarrassing. Uh, or anything like that. Conti was embarrassing. You know, this is a guy that was coming in like a bat out of hell out of the backfield and went right past the guy he meant to tackle. You know, that guy missed more tackles. And, you know, and obviously the whole thing with Green Bay. So, yeah, you know, I don't hate Mitch like I hate Chris Conti. He's definitely on the naughty list as far as I'm concerned. So, (laughs) all right, as we start to wrap things up here, we move on to the schedule. And we start out right away. And unfortunately, Aaron's not a part of the team because I really would have liked to see us beat him once or twice before he left uh, Green Bay. But instead, he's off to the New York Jets, and it's the Jordan Love era in Green Bay. They come to Chicago week one, and that's how we kick off uh, this brand-new season. Great barometer, I think, for both teams sure. to kind of yeah. check in. And, okay, how much better are the Bears and how much worse are the Green Bay Packers? Like, we'll get, a, we'll get to know right away. And certainly, like, week one is not always – Super representative of how the rest of the season will go because we see weird stuff happen in the first week or two of the year where bad teams beat good teams and good teams beat bad teams. But I think something about when these two teams play head-to-head, even in week one, like we've seen over the years, it tends to be pretty reflective of how those two teams' seasons will go. And it'll be a good it'll be a good measuring stick for Jordan Love. It'll be a good measuring stick for Justin Fields' progress. And I think it feels to me like that game in week one will, get, will tell us a lot about what's going to happen in week 18 when they rematch. Right. And, and as of right now, that particular matchup is as close to a prime time Bears Packers game that we'll get unless that week 18 matchup is flexed into the Sunday night uh, spot. Because for the first time, and I think like a decade and a half, the Bears and the Packers aren't scheduled to be playing, you know, on prime time on Monday, Sunday, Thursday, whatever it is. It's all day games for Bears Packers this year at this point. I think a reflection of the schedule maker's confidence level in both teams. <laughs> probably, probably. Uh, then uh, week two, believe it or not, I'm actually really worried about this game. Not because we're playing the Buccaneers, but because we're playing them in Tampa Bay in in September, which means instead of the seventh layer of hell, maybe it'll be the sixth layer of hell. I mean, it is going to be unbearable in September, even in in in, in Tampa Bay. Uh, and the last time that we went down there, remember what the last time we went down there week two was like five, six years ago, the Mike Lennon show, what a disaster that turned out to be. And the heat played a huge factor in that game. Well, I just wonder if that's a little bit of a look ahead game too, with the Kansas city chiefs the yeah. following week, like Tampa themselves, like Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyle Trask really aren't striking a lot of fear into my heart. Like they're, no. they're kind of rebuilding slash transitioning. They're still talent there but it's there's some there's a lot of names on that starting lineup on both sides of the ball that most people will not have heard of and in theory that should be a game that the bears should win but but i agree like yeah the bears on the road in florida has been uh generally not a great combination for this team yeah and uh as they say it's not the heat it's the humidity and that's 
That is the God's honest truth. You ever been to Florida? I have been to Florida a number of times, yes. Really? Okay, because well, I've only been there once, and I was in there in November, in Tampa, no less, uh, in, in, in November, and it was 85. It felt like it was the middle of summer in November. It was awful. I was like, people retire down here to deal with this year-round. That's madness. Get me the hell out of here. Like, I couldn't get out of Tampa fast enough. Uh, I was like, I just, uh, I can't mess with that. I was like, when I, ret- well, I guess when I retire, I'm going to Canada because I'm getting as far away from heat and humidity as I possibly can. So, you know, I did a July weekend in Tampa Ooh. last summer, or was it two summers ago now? And I mean, it was hot, don't get me wrong, but I didn't find it to be that bad. I wouldn't want to spend every day down there, but let's see how the weather plays out September 17th. I mean, a, a noon game, or I guess one Eastern for them, yeah. that might be sun in the middle of the sky, peak difficulty. But, hey, you know what? It, good for that to be testing them earlier in the season sure. and training them then as opposed to, like, late in the year when guys are already tired and beat up. Yeah. Well, I guess context helps because, like you said, you were there in July, so it's supposed to suck in July. But uh, I was there in November when I coming from Illinois when it was 48 degrees outside when we left. And, you know, we get there and it's 85 and humid. You can't even step out of your room without getting choked to death. The humidity context, you know, carries on that one. So for sure. But as you mentioned, week three, uh, they didn't want to let that uh, visiting money go to Germany. Uh, so the Bears and the Chiefs are playing at Arrowhead uh, this year. The very first Justin Fields versus Pat Mahomes matchup. And hopefully we make it at least memorable, uh, if not coming away with a surprise win in one of the more uh, difficult places to win a football game. Yeah, certainly not going to be expecting any kind of victory there, but if if last year was any indication, like like we talked about earlier, they played the Bills close for at least a half and certainly played the Eagles close for a whole game, so there's reason to think they can at least hang with the Chiefs, but uh, you're not going to find too many Bears fans predicting a W there. Right. Uh, Week four, we come back home. We're taking on the Broncos to see how well – uh, Sean Payton is uh, fixing Russell Wilson, if it's possible, uh, at this point. Uh, and then, I don't know why. I mean, we, we're playing the Commanders. They, they, they fell on the schedule. They were the last place finisher, same as us. So we were going to play them no matter what. But not only are we playing them, but we're playing them on Thursday night again. And I don't know why the NFL decided to double down on that <laughs> on that shit show of a game that we had last year. Uh, uh, you know, week six, where the winning quarterback threw for less than 100 yards uh, in that game. We had those god-awful, goddamn orange helmets and jerseys on. It was an abomination of a football game, and Amazon is like, hey, let's do that again. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Listen, if you're trying to get Jeff Bezos to buy your, the football team, you got to put their, his team on Amazon twice that season just to try and <laughs> sweeten the deal for him to come over there. Although I know that didn't pan out that way, but I, we, we always wonder if there's some behind-the-scenes stuff there. But hope, I mean, it can't be a worse game this year than last year, right? Like, there's no way. One could only hope, man. I mean, there is only – there's no way to go up but up from what that game uh, ended, up, uh, ended up being. Uh, and since we're on the road, the likelihood of orange helmets and jerseys is, is – Small knock on wood, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, Then we come back home for back-to-back games, home for the Vikings, home for the Raiders. Uh, Both of those matchups should be very interesting. I don't really know what to expect from the Vikings this year because they they did more subtracting than they did adding, but, you know, they still seem on paper at least to be a formidable team. 
Yeah, it's like as, as, as long as they're still trying to make the Kirk Cousins thing work, like they're going to be at least competing for a playoff spot. But I agree, like he's been a player that's been largely dependent on his supporting cast for a lot of his career, and that keeps shirking down a little bit more and more. But at the same time, as long as he gets to throw to Justin Jefferson and they drafted a wide receiver in the first round this year, like there's there's always going to be at least something there. But how good and what the ceiling looks like there, it's you can't just patchwork it together around – Kirk Cousins and want to expect big time playoff runs, but at least on paper, they're still like until proven otherwise, they're still better than the Bears. But you, this could be the year where you're proven otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they they let they let go Ed Donatel because his defense was a disaster. They bring in Brian Flores, who has an outstanding reputation as a defensive uh, coordinator because he was you know calling the plays out in New England for several years before he went to Miami uh, and had the disaster of a tenure out there, and more so with the with how things went down with the front office than what than the product he was putting on the field because Dolphin fans can't, really can't complain with what he was doing with the Dolphins and the progress he made while he was their head coach. It was more about the mess that was going on behind the scenes uh, that got him fired uh, and everything. So we'll see if him coming in and, and stabilizing the defense somehow will will fix what was broken last year, all those one-score games and, and things like that where you know the, the offense had to outscore their opponents uh, more so than you know the defense actually shutting their opponents down. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting going from uh, an Ed Donatel scheme that I, I, I th- it probably has a more of a reputation than a reality as conservative and not very aggressive, and Brian Flores being the blitz heavy, go all out and try and really pressure and punish opposing quarterbacks, and, and that'll be a good test for Justin Fields too. Like we saw teams really try and blitz the heck out of him last season to try and hurry up his processing, and sometimes he struggled with that. And I think over time he got better at it, but it'll be a good test with that team that's going to try and get after him. Uh, and then the Raiders, you know, will, will Jimmy G still have functioning legs by the time they come to Chicago uh, week seven? And, you know, what kind of football team will Josh Daniels still have a job uh, and everything? Because they wanted him fired like in the first four weeks. Uh, in his first year as head coach last year with the way the Raiders just could not get out of their own way uh, last year. I mean, the, the AFC West, talk about a, uh, a division as a whole that disappointed last year. With the Russell Wilson trade, you got Herbert, uh, you know, Mahomes, you know, Wilson, and, uh, you know, Carr in that division. So you're expecting it to be literally the Wild West in the AFC West last year, and that did not happen. You know, the the Broncos and, and the, the Raiders were huge disappointments the Chargers were, you know, just decimated by injury, and the only one that showed up to the party was Kansas City, and they ended up winning it all. So uh, we'll see if that division uh, can bounce back, and, and unfortunately, if they do, we get to play all four of them uh, this year. So we got the Raiders week seven, and then on the road for what's going to be a Chicago home game at SoFi, we play the Chargers on Sunday Night Football, our, our only appearance of the year thus far. And I think you were just saying with the AFC West, like, again, the Chargers should be really good, but <laughs> but they just can't quite always, like, hold that together for a whole season. But, you know, and, like, another investment in wide receiver for Justin Herbert, and it feels like things are starting to come together on that. Certainly that defense has a lot to really like there under Brandon Staley, and the offensive line has is slowly kind of growing. They invested some recent early draft picks there, so it, it, you'd think everything looks like it's the time for the Chargers. they got Kellen Moore running that offense now, too. Like, it should be there, but the Chargers love to find ways to lose. They love to charger. Things, weird, th- weird things happen when you play the Chargers, and that one, it, the Bears certainly have a hope for something weird happening there on, on in prime time in L.A. Yeah, not to mention, like I said, the Chargers don't really have a fan base anymore, so I, I definitely predict there to be a hell of a lot more navy and orange in the crowd at SoFi than uh, 
powder blue and yellow uh, out there when uh, it will definitely be a Chicago Bear home game uh, on Sunday Night Football out there in SoFi. Uh, And then on our way back, we stop at the Superdome to play the Saints uh, this year. Well, speaking of Derek Carr, there he is uh, in New Orleans to see how well that offense will be functioning by week nine uh, of the season. And then we were one of those lucky teams that was scheduled for two Thursday night games. We come home on short rest after a game in New Orleans to take on uh, the Carolina Panthers. So we get our first look at Bryce Young. And, you know, is it a DJ Moore revenge game? I don't know that he's salty at the Panthers for trading him, but a lot of people want to call it that at this point, the DJ Moore revenge game. So we'll see how that turns out. It can be the Dante Foreman revenge there game. Although I don't, I'm yeah. sure that there's not... I don't know that there's hard feelings there either, but still, like, yeah, again, that that should be an easy, fairly easy winnable game there against a bad team. But Thursday night football, Bears played against a really easy, winnable, bad team last year in Washington and couldn't do it. So I'm (laughs) just the slightly the the slightest bit scared about that one. But it's also Andy Dalton potential revenge game there and Chris Tabor potential revenge. game. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lots of lots of revenge going on in that one. But um and then uh, we come home on, or we're on the road, actually, at the Lions. Now, this is the team that I think most people are going to have a close eye on this year, especially within our division, because they're the leader in the clubhouse right now as far as being the favorites to win the division uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I think you and I have talked about this. I certainly mentioned it to our, our Lions guy, all due respect. I was like, the Lions are still the Lions, dude. So if they're going to do this, I'm going to have to see them actually do it and, and to put it in, in, in the fairest context, it's like the Lions are like the Bears, where historically we're not exactly known for stringing successful seasons together. So, you know, you had this, this big second half, you finished nine and eight, you came within an eyelash uh, of making the playoffs. So now the next step has to be taken. And even though they're, they look primed to do it on paper, they looked really good. They had a decent draft, even though they, you know, basically kind of reached in the first round with their picks, or at least that's everyone's opinion uh, of those draft choices and everything. They look like the team that's there to do it, but at the same time, no Rodgers. You know, the Vikings seem to take a hit. The improvements that the Bears made uh, and what the Lions are poised to do, this is as wide open as this division has been in a very long time, and the Lions are the team that is predicted to be the one that seizes control of it. Yeah, I, I'm with you there in both ways that like, yeah, there's a lot to like about this Lions team. And, and yet I'm still left feeling like not only just the Lions curse, but also with the number of players they got suspended for gambling. And it just feels yeah. like there's just feels like there's some kind of something there. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I just have like some questions and doubts about like team culture stuff. Like obviously like Jay, the, the coach Campbell is like, big rah-rah in your face, but sometimes that can be just like more distracting from other things going on behind the scenes there. Like we think, Oh, well, Campos Campos, that big visual vocal leader guy. So everything has got to be good. Right. But, or is that, is that big vocal visual stuff compensating for things that maybe aren't going as well behind the scenes? I just have some questions about how well things go. And I also think Jared Goff, Last season played really well and is a very prime candidate for statistical regression that he, he got lucky in a lot of the statistical ways that don't tend to last from season to season that fluctuate a lot and that he's 
more likely to come back down a little bit next season. And I think his play last year was a little bit overinflated. And you take away some of his wide receivers due to suspension. And Marvin Jones is another year older. And I mean, they got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's, who's, who's great, but I don't love the rest of his receiving core right now. And his tight end core is not great besides the tight end. They just drafted this year. I think he's got a good offensive line and a good backfield, but I just have some questions about the lions that I still think they're probably the favorite in the division for sure, but I don't see them as like for sure, clearly far and away, you know, going to run with the run with the run away with the division and take the next step. It does feel very wide open to me. Yeah. I think a case could be made for just about any team in the division winning it this year. That's why I think it's probably one of the more wide open races we've seen in this division in quite some time. So um, then we come to the Monday night game, our one and only Monday night game on the schedule this year. Where we, cl- we close out the series with the Vikings. And as I've documented in the past, more than once now, the one Monday night game the Bears are going to play is the night that I'm going to see Kiss for the last time in Chicago that very same night. So the hell with the NFL <laughs> for doing that to me. And, uh, you know, it's not like they're making me choose. I'm going to the show. So that's not, it's not a discussion. But the fact that I'm going to miss this game, which could be very important, you know, that's the, that's, I think that's what bothers me the most. The potential for the stakes of that game could be huge. And yet I'm going to be looking at updates on my phone when I'm not mesmerized by the show Kiss is going to be putting on for us. I was just going to say, I don't, you haven't said this on the air yet, but I will also be at that yes, Kiss concert inadvertently. Yes. So you and I will be watching it. I'll have it on our phone. One of our phones will have the game going. We'll be switching back and forth between Gene Simmons and, <laughs> and, and Justin Fields in our eyes and trying to pay attention to both. And ultimately not enjoying either one as much as we should have. So right. we'll probably be a little more focused on the show. Right. But we'll check, we'll check in on, on the game too. Yeah, I might just leave my phone in the car, honestly. I yeah. might just leave it in the car to not be tempted uh, to find out, but uh, oh, you're you not know. gonna you're not gonna hold up your phone and watch the whole concert through your phone screen recording it. You know, I did that last time. The last time because I saw them twice when they on their first leg back in 2019. Uh, you know, because COVID shut the tour down for almost two years, and uh, you know, I've got plenty of footage from those concerts on uh, on my phone uh, and everything. And I think that I might just you know sit back and enjoy it this time since it will in fact be the last time i get to see him so yeah i think i might just uh, you know try to enjoy the entire experience rather than try to document it with my phone so and then you'll have the bye week after that to catch back up Indeed. on the vikings game as i was going to say we, you know we have the bye week uh and everything uh after that and uh you know we'll get to see what the aftermath is uh after uh the game so or after the show i should say but um yeah, I was not happy. And, and you know, it's there's always some kind of scheduling quirk when it comes to the Bears and the Vikings. Six, seven years in a row, it's the Bears-Vikings in Minnesota to finish out the year. And then last year they flipped it on us. It was Bears-Vikings in Chicago to close out the year. And now this year, you know, we, we avoid that because we're bookended by Packers games week one and week 18. But there is a caveat with the Vikings game. It's going to be taking place the same day you're seeing Kiss for the last time in Chicago. So, damn it. So... But then after the bye week, you know, quick quick turnaround with the Lions, uh, this time at home. Um, then we're at Cleveland to, you know, Deshaun Watson. Will he, you know, not be in prison by that time if he can't control himself and what have you? And then two very interesting games because we got dome teams coming to Chicago in late December with the Cardinals and the Falcons coming to town in week 16 and week 17. Um 
Weather alone, I'm picking the Bears to win both of those games. Those desert teams or those dome teams and everything coming into the elements uh, at Soldier Field that time of year, I don't see that going well for either one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm more worried about the Cleveland Browns than other people. I, I think I have a little bit more, uh, unfortunately, more faith in Deshaun Watson to return closer to form and be a more formidable team with them. But Cardinals should be awful this season and should be a fairly easy game for the Bears. Some people are really high in the Falcons, but... I'm I'm not quite there yet. I I need to see it happen this season. I mean, I know they're in a fairly open division that can can have some wiggle room there, but still not a big Ritter believer and and feel like that team is still a few pieces away. So it'll kind of depend. Like if we get to week 17, are are the Bears right on the edge of a playoff hunt here that are pushing and really need to win these games to really put themselves over the top? Or are the Falcons in that spot? Or is one of the teams eliminated at that point? And then does that change some of the complexion of the game where, okay, maybe the Falcons are eliminated and they're not trying as hard or the Bears are eliminated and they're not maybe not trying as hard. And that, that could swing things in either direction at that point. But it should be on paper a winnable game. Yeah. And then finally at week 18, as we mentioned before, we're at Lambeau. And if the game has stakes... You know, the NFL is going to jump all over making that the last game of the season uh, on Sunday night uh, football because everybody plays on Sunday that last week of the season. And um, if it doesn't happen, it'll be the first time since, you know, Bill Clinton that the Bears and the Packers don't uh, play a, uh, a primetime uh, prime game. So we'll, we'll see if that game holds any meaning. And I think if it does, if somebody's playoff spot is on the line, it very well could be that Sunday night game that week. It sure would be fun if, like, they were both competing for the seventh playoff spot, like the last wild card spot, and like sure. winner of that game gets in. Like that would that that to me feels like the right amount of stakes to make week eighteen really matter because it feels like it's been it's been a few seasons since week eighteen has really mattered to us, you know? Yeah, could it be since I don't know twenty thirteen for a person that we're not going to mention on the show uh, anymore? That, that, I think that's <laughs> the last time it happened. So, yeah, damn it. He popped up again. He just He's the disease that won't go away. But, uh, yeah. Hey, I didn't say it. You know you didn't say it? Neither did I. So, but, you know, we're all still thinking it. But, <laughs> but so there it is. There's 2023 in a nutshell as far as the, the schedule that we have ahead of us. Floor to ceiling, Lauren. What do you got for the Bears this year? Boy, you know, I, so I, think, I think we're going to see – Improvement. I think it's going to be a much better Bears team. I'm not ready to say, like, yes, this is a team that's going to win the division and make the playoffs specifically. Like, to me, I'm I'm stuck right around eight or nine wins, where maybe nine is enough to get the seventh wild card spot, you know, that last playoff spot. But maybe it comes down to tiebreakers there. But perhaps more like, I think if I had this, if I just said at one number, I think eight and nine is the record I, I find myself coming back to. But I, I don't I don't really see any more than 10 wins, and I certainly don't see any fewer than like six. But yeah. perhaps like eight is kind of the number I'm at. But I could be convinced at nine. Yeah, your your ranges are identical uh, to mine. I, I'm I'm in the the six win floor to the, you know, 10, maybe 11 ceiling, maybe 11. And that's if everything goes right, in my opinion. If everything goes right, I can see 10, 11 wins uh, this season, which means the reality is probably somewhere in the middle, like eight or nine wins, like you're, uh, like you're saying. And I think, obviously, that would be significant process from progress from 3 and 14. Um, but, you know, as we've learned from the Matt Nagy years, where we went eight and eight in back-to-back seasons, and in both seasons, I wanted to put a bullet in my mouth because of what the product that Maggie, Nagy and company were putting uh, on the field. 
there's context to the wins and the losses, you know, and, and I, this phrase that I've made famous on the show was those yeah, but victories. We had a lot of those uh, under Matt Nagy where you walk away feeling bad about victories uh, and everything. And I'm getting comments from my listeners because I'm complaining Dude, we won the game. It's like, yeah, but did you watch the game? We were terrible. We were lucky to walk away with that one, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, hopefully we do win some more football games. But more than anything, kind of like last year, we went 3-14, and 14, and yet we saw some progress being made, which made the season bearable to watch. Even though we end up coming on the wrong end of pretty much every single game except for a, a couple, you still tuned in every single week to watch the team play. And... When, when Nagy was putting us through those eight and eight seasons, those six-game losing streaks, the five-game losing streaks, it became unbearable by the end of the season. By the time you got to the end, you were like, thank God that's over, as opposed to like, oh, it's over kind of thing. You know, I just like, <laughs> I want to feel like that after that Packers game. Like, oh, it's done, as opposed to like, oh, thank God that's over. 2024, here we come. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can't help but remember back to like the, the point I always bring up with these schedule predictions it's like last year the bears were one in seven in one score football games and like mm. historically teams those tend to be coin flip games and you you're you're more likely to win 50 percent of those games so if you flip if you take that one in seven and make it four and four then the bears had six wins last season so like at a minimum they're a six win team this year and then you the upgrades they make to me are worth at least uh, you know one or two wins at a minimum if not you know three or maybe even four yeah yeah, so, I mean, that falls right in line with, with what, you know, I feel like the floor-to-ceiling thing is for the Bears. It's like 6-10, six and six, six to 10, I think, is, is the range. So that's, that's where I'm expecting us to, to fall, and, and hopefully it's enjoyable to watch <laughs> this year. I'm, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that I really love what we put on the field offensively uh, this year because that, that would, I mean, we already knew the defense wasn't going to be good uh, last year, and, you know, especially after they traded away Robert Quinn uh, and Roquan, it became more difficult uh, to watch, but it's like the the hits and misses with the offense, with how well we ran the ball, number one in the league uh, last year. But then passing game was abysmal. For, like we were n- number thirty two in the league from week one all the way to the end uh, of the season. And I would really love with DJ Moore and Robert Tunyon uh, the improvements that we made with the offensive line. Uh, you know the backfield changes that we've made and all that kind of stuff to really see. And also one thing that we haven't mentioned yet. No changes in the coaching staff. No changes in the offense. We're running the same offense this year that we ran last year for the first time in Justin Fields' short tenure with the team. Yeah, I I find myself feeling like for this season, it, it's going to be so much more about like what it looks like and feels like than what it is measured exactly. as. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. It's, to me, it's not super important to exactly how many games they win. I mean, obviously, yeah, they got they got to win more games and and be better. But like, it's more about like feeling like progress and looking like progress. And even if that means they lose a couple games that they really shouldn't have, but boy, everybody played a lot better. And Justin Fields is taking the steps forward, and things are going in the right direction. Like like same with Fields. Like statistically, I don't need him to throw for four thousand yards or even. 3,500 yards this season to feel confident in the progress he's making. Like I need to, I need to feel it. I need to see it, but I don't need it to be perfectly measured in wins and losses or volume passing yards or touchdown to interception ratio. Exactly. Like those can be a reflection of what you see, but like it's the seeing and the feeling like there is progress development and growth in all the areas that you want to more so than whether or not that's perfectly reflected in the stat sheet and the wins and losses. Yeah. Yeah. The context of how those wins and losses are happening is, is what's going to be 
uh, important, and hopefully we win more than we lose, if if only by one game this season. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, just to make it a little bit more interesting and so that there are some stakes possibly in that Week 18 matchup with the Packers. So, But there you have it, guys. There's your preview for the 2023 uh, Chicago Bears. And how far are we from training camp right now? Today is the, what, 11th of July? So, what? Two weeks. Two weeks, maybe? Ish, a little less. Yeah. So by the time this airs next week on the 18th, we'll have, what, a week, maybe 10 days at the most before camp starts? Yeah, definitely less than 10 days. I don't know the exact what day they report versus what day it's open to the public. Right. Right. So, but it's almost here. And that's kind of like the point of this series is that week to week, you know, we're, 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 we're busying ourselves with something other than the vast wasteland between the draft and training camp. And, uh, you know, we're learning about our opponents. And then finally here at the end, we're learning more about ourselves and what can be expected, what we can look forward to. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, concerns, you know, all that and and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that we do see some progress. That uh, at the end of the season, Matt Eberflus isn't the lowest ranked coach on the power ranking list uh, anymore. <laughs> that he gets a little more love uh, as far as the kind of head coach uh, that he is, and that uh, Ryan Poles keeps plugging along and puts together a winner for us. Training camp starts July 26th, and I, so I'm assuming they report a day or two before that. So it'll be about a week. This will come out about a week before they report, but then a little over a week before things actually get going. There we go. All right, Lauren. So where can, uh, where can we keep up with you uh, until, uh, until we talk to you again? Because with a week 13 bye, we're going to have to wedge you in there somewhere because we're not going to wait yeah. until week 13 uh, to see you again. Of course. In the meantime, you can – Hear me on the Lockdown Bears podcast five days a week on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as long as Twitter remains a thing, I'll still be on there at Cox Sports One. <laughs> yeah, get threads set up for that, too. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to start working on that uh, myself uh, as well to, to get a threads account uh, going, because it seems like that's where it's all headed uh, at this point, because Elon Musk apparently these days is more interested in in training for a fight with Mark Zuckerberg in the UFC than he is about uh, fixing what's broken. Uh, with Twitter, so uh, did, I'll have to wait. Did you see? Did you see that Elon Musk proposed a literal dick measuring contest with Mark Zuckerberg? Like he tweeted that. Like he tweeted, like let's do a literal measuring contest. <laughs> no, I it's did just, not see. But it's uh, the dumbest. We're in the dumbest timeline possible. It, it, it for, is, like, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's all gone to hell. We're as they say on Stranger Things, we are in the upside down. There's yes. no other explanation for it. So, but yeah, follow him, uh, Cox Sports One. Uh, on the Twitter and possibly threads and uh, whatnot, and you the Locked On Bears. You guys down to three right now, or are you still doing five days a week? I've been doing two or three throughout the offseason here, but as this podcast comes out, I'll be ramping back up to full five days a week. So. There you go. There you go. So, Lauren, always a pleasure, man. Love having you on. Uh, like I said, we'll get you on possibly to, to, to lick our wounds after that Commander's game if we get another Thursday night turd uh, on Amazon uh, between the Bears and Commanders or, or somewhere in between before uh, week 13. Hey, sounds good. Anytime. As always, we enjoy having Lauren back on the show. Like I said, we'll have to figure out a a time frame to get him back on. Maybe we'll try to do the, uh, like the quarterly 
reviews uh, because last year our, our, our bye week was week 14. This year it's week 13, so we're not going to wait until week 13 to have Lauren back on maybe after, maybe like last year, after week five when we do our, our Thursday night game against the uh, Commanders, uh, we'll have them on for like a first quarter type uh, review and, and, and see how it goes uh, from there. So, uh, But always love having Lauren on and any excuse that I can, I will find one uh, to bring him onto the show. And uh, there you have it, guys. That is the 2023 opponent preview series, as I've said a million times in the past. And again, this summer is my favorite time of year to do the show, to get to, new, to, get to know all of our various guests. And I want to thank them all uh, for being uh, on the show and, and uh, helping us preview our upcoming opponents. And I look forward to talking to them all again when, uh, when it comes time for our teams uh, to butt heads. Uh, I do know that it will be a while before we get a chance to talk to Evan Western uh, again because uh, even though the Bears and the Packers play week one, he's getting married that weekend. So uh, he'll kind of, not only is he is he getting married, he's getting married, I think he said in Greece or something like, something someplace overseas where he is definitely going to be indisposed, therefore not available to preview week one uh, with us. So it'll be another one of his uh, compadres from Acme Packing Company that'll be joining us week one to preview Bears Packers to kick off uh, the season. Hopefully he's as cool as Evan and uh, we can get along uh, just as well because this this will literally be the first time since I started doing interviews back in 2015 that I've had anyone other than Evan Western on for a Green Bay Packer episode. First time ever. So that'll be weird, man. I don't like change, but nonetheless, um, So there's our 2023 opponent preview series. And on Thursday, we will wrap up the 2023 offseason with a very special guest from NFL Network and the sick podcast with Adam Rank. Adam Rank himself, a uh, bona fide Bears fan, even though we're going to have to ask him about that. Uh, We've had Adam on the the show before. It's been a while, though. Uh, So I don't don't know if we got into how it exactly it is that a California born and bred uh, guy uh, who's a huge like Angels fan and all that kind of stuff? How he ended up being a Bears fan was that a was that a fatherly influence? Is it is it because he grew up in the in the mid '80s when the Bears and Ditka were ruling the world, you know, and all that kind of stuff? And the Bears are national on national TV all the time. We'll get to the bottom of that. Uh, what he thinks of the position battles ahead from our team. What he thinks of our offensive line, the off season, the draft, and of course, uh, you know, can he? Can he stick to his guns with the, like, I think, I'm pretty sure it was 12-5 and five that he gave the Bears uh, when he did his uh, game-by-game analysis on NFL Network. You can probably find it on, on Twitter or YouTube uh, somewhere. But uh, we'll ask him about that and just about anything else we can squeeze into the, into the short window that we have with him uh, on Thursday. So come back on Thursday for myself and Adam Rank to put a close on the 2023 offseason and we move forward to the 2023 regular season. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.